So, all of you guys are probably wondering what the heck's going on here. Uh, just a bunch of guys. Uh, well, the one thing that you often see in a church is that as the men of a church go, so the church goes. The goal is to really just truly build up strong men. You know, those who are faithful, those who are walking with the Lord, those who have a servant's heart, those who just truly just give it all to God and say, God, just take me, take my life, whatever you would have of me. So what we're really looking to do this week, and even next week, is we're really looking to just say, okay, what does it mean to be a godly man? What are some really good questions that can be asked of us to say, okay, well, this is what I thought a man was, but no, this is what the word tells us a godly man is. Because we're, we're often flooded with everything that's out there in the world of what, what is a man. But let's truly turn to what the Lord says through the word. So that's kind of what our goal was today. It's just really, that, let's look at what it means to be a godly man. So, and that being said, we kind of looked about, you know, that's an issue that we all need to tackle. So why don't we all just do it together? That's why we all, as, as a night class, are doing this all this week and also next week. Uh, and what better way to kind of talk about that and have someone talk about that. But Eric Reed, he's the pastor of, um, Men's ministry and Men's, also yeah. the uh, married, yeah. young married, uh, young married classes. So um, Eric yeah. has been in our church for about two years now. Ten. It's a, it's within it's 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 within five hundred percent. It's within five hundred percent. So that's within the margin of error. No. It's <laughs> but you've been the the, the the minister of men's ministry for five, almost five and a half. Yeah. So, That's cool. Yeah, so definitely uh, welcome, Eric, and thank you again so much that come and speak some great words, and we're definitely, uh, let's pray over Eric right now. Okay. Um, my Father, uh, Lord, I come to you just um, thankful, Lord, and humbled that, that you just continue to work on us, that you continue to mold us into the image of your Son, Christ. Um, Father, that uh, he is who we need to look to when it comes to being a man. Mm. Um, Father, because he is fully God, but fully man. Um, Lord, I pray over Eric, Lord, and I pray that you would just send your spirit down, that he would speak, uh, that, he, that you would speak through him, Father, that, uh, that you would prepare the hearts of the men in this room, that there would be some type of information that would really challenge us as to what it means to be a godly man, Father. And I pray that we walk out of here um, just really looking to you. Father, thank you for all you do. Thank you for every man who is here. Uh, we come to you and we give you all the glory. In your son's name, amen. Amen. If, if you're sitting at the back and you can't hear, I don't know how the acoustics are in here, but uh, can everybody hear me all right? I feel like I'm shouting a little bit, but... Yeah, I'll, I'll pace around, though. It just happens. Um, I wanted to tell y'all uh, right off the bat, um, I am, yeah, the men's minister, the married young adult minister, uh, helped start the art ministry here called Imago. Um, I got my hands on a lot of different pots, and I never thought when I was, you know, in high school, in college, even beyond that, I never thought that I would ever work in a church. Um, 
I had seen a lot of things that turned me off when I was young in church, uh, hypocrisy, uh, a lot of things that bugged me. Uh, when, if, you've, if you've ever had a negative experience in church, you can put your hand up. Okay, that you're here is the same reason I'm here, and that is that God is greater. God's greater than the things that maybe have been negative in our life. Um, so, so my heart for you guys is God has been at work in my life uh, since my senior year of high school. He was working before then. I just didn't acknowledge it. I became a Christian my senior year of high school. I recognized all the facts and all the data of, of the cross of Christ. I, I knew sort of the, my parents had taught me John 3.16 and all these things, but it really didn't connect with my heart at all. And something happened when I was 17 years old that it all became very personal and very real that Jesus died for me because I actually needed him and that my great sin wasn't drinking alcohol. My great sin wasn't shoplifting. My great sin wasn't cussing. My great sin was that I actually thought I could walk into heaven on my own, that I didn't really need him, that I could sort of be my own man and everything would work out just fine at the end of time. And that that pride was my great sin. All the other things just flowed out of it. And so I've been on a journey since then until now. And, and just a little bio, uh, my wife and I have been married 13 years. Uh, we've got four children. If you were at the uh, retreat uh, last two weeks ago, you, you met all of them. Uh, we've got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And it's a very busy, full house and a very busy, full life. And yet, in all of it, it's a huge, huge blessing. And, and I just, I share that with y'all because ultimately as, as we look at life, I see in my son the potential to change the world. And I see in a room like this with men, the potential to change the world. And I say that because Christ, when he came, who did he call around himself? This would be a rhetorical time. What? He called ordinary men to himself. And he didn't, he didn't ask them to do anything that took a lot of rocket science. They didn't have to be the smartest men. They didn't have to be the most talented men. It wasn't about their IQ. It was about their OQ, that being their obedient quotient. How obedient would they be? So when Christ called them, what did he call them to do? Follow me. It was real, real simple. And somewhere over the last 2,000 plus years, I looked at what was sort of spoken to me about being a man. And, and what is a man? Let's just throw out what. Growing up in America today, what is a man? Somebody raise your hand and just, just spit out some things. What is a man? Decisive. Decisive. What else? A leader. A leader. What else? Makes a lot of money. Makes a lot of money. Tough. Tough. Yes, sir, in the back. Protector. Protector. That's great. Responsible. Responsible. Anything else come to your mind? A man. Independent. Independent. Takes charge. Takes charge. Strong. Strong. In fact, uh, to admit weakness... It's not real manly in our culture. Like you're not going to advance in corporate America going in there telling them all your flaws, right? It's 
probably not the pathway you want to be on. Where do we learn those things in our culture? Media. Media, media. Parents. What? Parents. parents, absolutely. What what did you see at home, right? And what whatever you see outside of the home is typically sort of that when you're a kid it was that little box, you know, that that was in the house. That's you saw more men on that than you ever saw anywhere else probably. You saw them on the sporting field, right? You had coaches. How many of y'all had coaches? Any of you had male teachers? Teachers, right? Bosses. I mean, it's like we, we see men all the time. The question is, we can tell you how many light years the sun is away from the earth. We can tell you different theories and measure particles that are so small, that, that quarks and all of those things that we... We couldn't do, but, but if, if you wanted us to crystallize down a definition of what is a man, that would be a really, really hard thing to do. And so as you think about manhood and that we've seen it in our families and we've seen it in our society, who have you seen that you think really has it right? Who have you seen that really has it right? That when you look at that man, you say, you know what? I really, really want to be like him. And how many of y'all could raise your hand to say, there is a man, I know this guy, and I really, 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 I think he's got it right, and I want to be like him. How many of y'all could put your hand up for that? So about 30, 30 some odd percent of us, I believe Christ would want all of us to be able to put our hand up to say, you know what, I see a man that is walking with him, that is a man after God's own heart. And I can know that man. I can approach that man. I can have a relationship with that man. I can follow him. What was Paul? I mean, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, he was like, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a bold, gutsy statement. That somebody that we would be able to say to another man, imitate me as I also am seeking to imitate Christ. And so I want to I look at something that I think has been a barrier in my life. And I believe it's been a barrier historically for men. There's a couple of areas that I think if we know what a godly man is, and I think for a lot of us we probably do. Next week we're going to have a sort of a panel discussion. And I think we're going to take up some questions uh, and, and we're going to have some men answering some of those questions and you can ask any question you want to of them. And they're going to be guys that hopefully have, you know, experience behind that and, and a knowledge of God's word. They're not just like winging it and making it up. But, but as we think about, we know sort of what a godly man should be. What holds us back? How many, how many of us would just raise our hand and say, hey, I'm already that godly man. I, I got it. I'm, I got it. It's, it's easy. I I understand it. I'm living it out. I'm passionate for it, right? It's hard. It's confusing at times. You get in corporate America. How do you, how do you navigate that? You know, isn't Jesus sort of in a pastel blue robe and never lost his cool, right? And I'm like, well, no. I think we're going to look at, we're going to look at the very beginning of the story of creation 
in just a second. And I, I want us to look at the very first man. And we're going to grab something in his life that I think gives us a little bit of why maybe it's hard for us to engage fully as men. If y'all would open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to be try to be done at uh, 15 after. Am I right, Tom? Is that? Okay. Genesis chapter 3. The first two chapters record the creation of all that is. The physical side of that, right? Genesis chapter 3 starts a part of the narrative that if you were saying, hey, this is a game-changing play, well, the game-changing play happens in chapter 3. God sort of sets it all in motion. And then chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And I want to stop right there. Throughout time, we have sort of cast a, cast a little bit of dispersion on Eve here, right? Because she fell to the serpent, correct? Correct. If we go back a chapter, we recognize that Eve had not really been created yet when Adam was given the command of what to eat and what not to eat. Adam received the command. Eve never did. Eve's created, brought to Adam, and somewhere between when she was created and brought to him and chapter 3, what did Adam need to do? Eric said he, he needed to tell her. At some level, he had to communicate to her the Word of God. Men, at some level, I believe every man is a minister and every man is a leader by the design of God. Every one of us. Adam was responsible to teach and to train his own wife. Did he succeed or not succeed? We don't know, honestly. The situation isn't recorded. All we know is that Eve misquoted it at some level. She said, if I touch it, I'll die. And that she added something to it. God never said you can't touch it. He said, don't eat it. Well, if you don't touch it, then certainly you won't eat it. Did Adam, maybe Adam told her that so he thought he'd protect her. But I don't think so. Because if you look, going on the very next verse here, it says this, verse, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And here's why I don't think Adam was real concerned about her protection. <laughs> and she gave, she also gave some to her husband who was where? 
with her. And he being the great leader, leading out in front of her, <laughs> follows her. And it says, and he ate too. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I believe one of the greatest barriers for us as men to be the man God desires us to be and one of our natural, our natural tendency is, is passiveness, passivity. And I would write that down. That Adam's struggle was he was passive. He was right there the whole time. He knew the word of God. I would assume at some level he could have had a stick or grabbed the serpent or at least said something to Eve like, hey, what are you talking to him for? That's a lie. Let's just get away from what God has told us not to do. But he didn't. He sat there, silently sitting there. Now, how many of y'all would say that in your life you've never, ever wrestled with passivity? I know for me, I have seen things done and I have sat by and watched things done at times. When I was 16 years old, I was in public with a friend and we were in a mall in Knoxville, Tennessee on vacation. There's about nine or 10 guys and they, they lip off. And my friend Clark, we were like 10 of them and two of us. And he mouths off to them and lays a few expletives out. And they come over and he sort of bolts and I'm standing in front of a store in public thinking nothing in the world's going to happen here. And it's like all of a sudden I got 10 guys literally on me. Clark is in a store. I'm at the front of the store and people are walking in and out and no one says a word and no one does a thing. And there was man after man after man going by. And I was like, what does that tell me about a lot of men in our society? It tells me a lot. It's like they don't see the need to protect. They don't see the need to engage. They don't see the need to help. They will walk right by because they've got more important things to do. I don't know what Adam had that was more important than his bride. I really don't. I don't know what's more important to me than my wife. For some of you, you will be married in the next five years, okay? At that point in time, I don't know what will be more important to you than your wife. There shouldn't be anything other than Christ himself. But in our society, it doesn't get played out that way very often at all. I want us to look at, at Christ real quickly in Philippians chapter 2 because Adam was passive, but in Philippians chapter 2, we get a different, we get a different Adam. You get a different Christ here than what we saw in Genesis. And in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Christ came, His coming, the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, what we celebrate at Easter, was the opposite of Adam. Instead of Him sitting back and sitting by, what did Christ do? 
He came. He got involved. He engaged with all of his power and all of his being to address the very thing that was lacking in our soul. Where Adam stood by Eve in the garden and didn't say a word, Christ became the word and came right into the garden and went straight at the enemy. And the enemy went straight at them. It was like a game of chicken, you know, two cars coming at each other. And although, yes, it looked horrible at the cross, Christ suffered that and took that. And we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 12, he did it because he had a greater end game than his own well-being. It wasn't just about him. And so I want to ask you all, what is the crisis today that maybe God is wanting men to step into and men to walk into? Look around our society. What are areas that are screaming out to men, get engaged, make a difference, invest here? What are some of the areas that you all see? Families. Families. Definitely. And, and when you say families specifically, what are you, are you thinking? In statistics on those kids, it's not good. It's not good, the end game. My dad never had a dad. He turned out fine, so I'm not saying it can't happen. But I'm saying, yeah, for sure, the families in there. Uh, someone else in the back, I saw a hand up. Yeah. Leadership within the church. And what do you mean by that? Yeah, your, your kids, and, and y'all will probably amen this from your own experience, it ultimately doesn't matter what your dad says. Your kids will remember what you have done far more than what you've said. And I'm just telling you that. When you see a pastor's kids go way, way off the deep end, I'm not throwing stones at the pastor, but I'm going to say they saw something, they saw something that was different than maybe what the church saw. And I pray all the time, it scares me to actually be in ministry, quote, paid ministry. It does. It, scripture says, hey, not let, let, not let many of you want to be teachers because there will be a stricter judgment. I'm like, great, great, wonderful, yay. <laughs> but for me, there is a call on my life to be a teacher. And if I'm not, then I'm not stepping up to what he's called me to do. Even though I know there's going to be a stricter judgment, I'm like, I think the stricter judgment would be for me to run away from it as a coward and not step into it, even though I don't feel always perfect and always ready to do that. And so for us today, it's like, yes, family, yes, church. What, other, what are situations in our society that are screaming out for a man to step into it and make a difference? To treat women uh, like our sisters rather than as objects. How we, how we view women in our society, how we fight for the women in our society. In there, Rick. Disciplining their children. Disciplining children, for sure, for sure. There's social issues in our society. At one generation, there were slavery issues, okay? And, and God raised up men like William Wilberforce, who stepped up to the plate 
against their contemporaries. And for year after year after year after year, they fought for something greater than themselves. There are situations in our society and around the world today, I believe, that are crying out for men to step up into the plate and to deliver. We don't have to deliver a home run. We just need to get in the box with the bat and trust that God's going to do something through our obedience. Through our obedience. Think about corporate America. I I look at the stuff that has happened, and we have some men in our church, some of them had tried to address issues at Enron and some of them tried to address issues in in their gas, oil and gas companies where they were. This was before everything fell out. And for some of them, they tried to step into that and for others, they were like, I can't lose my job. And they had to make decisions, man. I'm I'm not saying it would have been easy, but I believe that for where you guys are in life, whatever industry you're in, the world is crying out for ethical godly, courageous leadership. And whether or not we deliver, that's on us. It's not on our families. It's not on each, it's it's on us as men. Will we or won't we step in? And in the church, as you said, will we or won't we step up to that? In Ephesians chapter 2, that's just the book before, You turn to verses 8, 9, and 10. And I remember I used to believe that, that God, when He saved me, He saved me so I wouldn't go to hell. I believe that. Then I was about 19 years old, I started thinking about it. I was like, well, God, it makes a whole lot more sense to me that if your point was to have me in heaven, then certainly you would have just brought me to heaven when I prayed to receive you as Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, right? But that I was still here and that you're here, that we have, we woke up this morning and blood was going through our body and oxygen was in our lungs and we had brainwave activity going on, that maybe there's something more here than just going to heaven. That maybe salvation wasn't the end game for Christ, Maybe that was sort of like my son's birth, December 17th, 2002. I got to hold my son, the very first. It was our second kid, but my first boy, my only boy now. And I held him. That wasn't the end game, so to speak. He was birthed at that point. I can't wait to see who he'll become, what he'll do, what hobbies he'll take up what gifts and talents God will give him, what ministry God will call him to, how he will either honor God or dishonor God with his life. And for us, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, it says, For by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not our own doing, it is the gift of God. Well, great, so we've been saved by grace, not a result of works, so that not one of us could brag and say, I'm better than someone else. Nothing. And these are, these are verses we all know. But verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? Good works. Good works. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Area one that I think makes being a man challenging is because our natural bent can be passive. We work hard in the marketplace and we want to just relax on our time. And it's our time. It's my weekend, right? If we make a lot of money, it's my money. I'll do with it what I want. I remember getting out of college, getting a job at Humana Hospital. And for the very first time in my life, I had money coming in. It was more money than I'd ever made before. I remember like every day, I, was, I figured it out, like every day I had like this many hundreds of dollars that I could spend on whatever I wanted to buy. I just remember like going into a record store and like picking up tens, they didn't have CDs back then, ten, <laughs> well they did, but I, I didn't have a CD player, but like 10 cassettes and like, wow, you know, and it's like, it wasn't a big deal. Where when I was in high school, I had to mow grass and save up money to get, to get a cassette when it came out. And all of a sudden, I found myself just like throwing money after all sorts of stuff. Don't even ask me where it is today. I have no idea where it is today at all. But that God has created these good works for us, for service for Him, is the second deal. Not passivity. We, we engage, but it's, it's now it's priorities. What is our priority? Is it self-centered or is it God-centered priority of living? We could engage actively in the world and everything could look right, but if our priority now isn't God and His kingdom, we still aren't being the man that God died for. We're not. And so our passivity and our priorities become, I think, the two biggest hurdles in the life of men from being who God has called us to be. Show of hands here, not to embarrass or call out, but if you read your Bible over the last week, just pop your hand up, and it doesn't count if I just said read right now. Okay, just, just put them down real quick. If you, if you prayed once this week, you know, put your hand up. Cool, okay, I'm not shaming anybody. Don't look around. It says just why? Why do those things? I mean, someone tell me why, and I know what the right answers are, but, but why, why read Scripture? Why pray? Great. That's a great, I mean, it's a great reason to do it. Absolutely. Someone else. I mean, why do it? So that we will better know God. Better know Him. Other reasons. Yeah, there's a, there's a song, it's a Reformation hymn. Lord, I'm prone to wonder. I'm bent to that. For sure. I mean, you two sang a song off of uh, two albums ago. Sometimes you can't make it on your own. I'm like, sometimes? No, I mean, it's like, never can I make it on my own. The stuff I've made on my own, I don't want to know what life is like if Eric makes it. I know what life is like if I make it, and it sucks. What I want to know is what is life like if God makes it? If I get out of the way and let Him make my life. And that's not passivity. That's activity. But if, if you read Scripture to fulfill a duty or an obligation, if you pray because I think I'm supposed to pray, uh, 
it won't last. There won't be passion in it. There won't be a movement of God in it. I pray because I am, and this is no important announcement. No, but I pray because I am broken inside, that I am an addict to sin, that my mind, if left to my own resources, I would probably be sitting around in my underwear playing video games and looking at pornography most of the time because that's my addiction. That's what I came from. Now, for some of y'all, you have different things that you would dive into. But I'm here to say, I get in the Word of God because if I'm not in the Word of God, I am going to so quickly take my thoughts and put them on myself and make myself the center of the universe. I need God's power in my life. I want His life in my life. It's not the question of would I, if Jesus were here today and someone put a gun and tried to shoot Him, I think most of us would say, you know what, I'd dive in front of that. If my wife were here today and someone were like trying to take a baseball bat and hit her, I don't care how big they are, I'm going to try to get my body between the bat and my wife, okay? Do y'all, do y'all believe me there? I hope you believe me. <laughs> It's probably very unlikely that any of us will take a bullet for Christ or take a bat for our wife. It's very, very likely that we will have opportunities tonight and tomorrow and each and every day of our life to live for Christ, to in some small way say, you know, this is what I in my flesh desire, but I'm, I'm actually going to prioritize. I'm going to say, God, you're my number one deal, and I know what pleases you, and I know what honors you, and I would rather follow you today and deny this and seek you first than seek my flesh first, because my flesh will beget more flesh. And when I sacrifice my flesh, I find I live more, and I have more freedom. I had a very short stint in outside sales, doing home improvement. I am not made for this stuff. It was vinyl siding and double hung windows and all those things. And I, I was out, we were trained, and I was out with another guy getting trained, and we ate at Whataburger every day. And I remember it's at, at 610 and TC Jester right there, there's a Whataburger near there. And I was sitting there at lunch with this guy, and, and, and he sees me bow my head, and I pray over the food, and he says, well, you know, he had just told me about, he was a very tall guy, good-looking guy, athletic guy. And he had told me about the night before he had been out with like two flight attendants from Southwestern Air. And he was telling me all about his ex escapades, you know, of what he had done. And he sees me praying. And he says, well, uh, you know, you know, why do you pray? And I was like, well, I, I need to pray. I, I pray all the time. And without prayer, I am, a, I am shipwrecked. I said, I have no strength. And he says, well, I feel like I have no strength. And I said, well, I said, what if God has given you strength as a man and you're actually giving it away every time you sleep with someone that's not your wife? I said, I'm just throwing it out to you. That when you go to the club and you chase after women, I said, what if you're giving your strength away? And that if you would restrain from that and actually follow after Christ, He would give you strength and you would gain strength. We ended up for the next two weeks because we trained together. That conversation, we delved deeper and deeper and deeper into that. 
And he began to pray with me and he began to pray for strength. And he began to find freedom. Leadership isn't a position or a title, okay? Leadership is a gift from God that every one of you, he's made you males for a reason. You have a Y chromosome for a reason. Every one of us is to lead. It's his destiny for us. The tragedy of America is that we have entertained ourselves to death. We have decided it would be more fun to watch TV or watch a movie or sit there on YouTube for an hour finding funny videos than figuring out solutions to the problems in our culture today and fighting for people that cannot fight for themselves and living for Christ. There is something greater, and I'm just telling you, we have been dumbed down in our culture. And that if you look at every show that I have seen in my whole life, there is not a man in any of them that I feel, when I watch it, I feel called to something noble. There are a few movies that I watched and they just inside just called me forward like Gladiator. I watched that and I'm like, inside I'm like, yes, that's the life I want to live. That's it. Braveheart. I watched that and I'm like, inside, doesn't something resonate with you? You watch that and you're like, dang it. That's the life I want, right? I'm not about the kilt. I could take it or leave the kilt. But the blue face paint, the blue face, thank you for laughing. The blue face paint, that's something to, no, but there has got to be something more that God had in store when he created me and created you. And I believe the enemy knows that. And he has sought to confuse us and dumb us down, and put it at the least common denominator. If we can live like frat boys the rest of our lives, oh, the life, we'll have, we'll have successful men, we'll have shagged lots of women, and made a lot of money, and drunk a lot of beer, and had a lot of fun, and we'll go out in a blaze of glory. And I believe God wants a revolution and I believe the leaders for the revolution are in this room. And I pray that God wakes us up. I pray that God allows us to see his priority in life for what he is doing. The world says live for yourself. Christ says die for me. Christ said there's no greater love that you can manifest but that you lay down your life for whom? Your brothers. Well, there is definitely a life to live, but there is a life that God has for you to give. And I'm curious, I want you all to think about what are the gifts that he has given you? What are the passions? What are the things that sort of tick you off in life? I used to run away from my anger. I would see stuff and it would make me mad. And I would think, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I can't get mad. That's sinful. And so I would just shove it down. And I read a book by Andy Stanley called Visioneering. I don't know if you've ever, has anyone read that book? It was, it's on Amazon. You could get it for like a penny. Okay, no one wants it anymore. But it was, it's a really good book. And it's on Nehemiah. And I was going through a time in 2000 through 2002 that I was sitting there like, God, I know there's more in life and I don't know what it is, but I want to be there. And so I started exploring. I started like, okay, these are the gifts you've given me. These are the things I'm passionate about. But I couldn't, there, there, was no, there was no 
key. And I read this book and it talked about allowing the things that make us angry to reveal more about God's call in our life. And I started thinking about the things that made me angry. And a lot of times it was wasted potential. A lot of times it was like, here's a guy that could just do incredible things and they're too lazy to do it. Now I coached and I taught school. That was part of what I did. Before that, I worked in a boy's home for troubled teens. Talk about wasted potential. I mean, there were guys in this boy's home that were so bright, but they had taken their brightness to figure out how to sell drugs and how not to get caught. And I'm like, something's so wrong there. And then coaching, my very first year of coaching cross country, I had a senior. I'm not going to call his name out. I ran into him at Cafe Express about six months ago. We made eye contact. We said, hey, we talked. But I called him, like literally, I wasn't the, like the, the fat cross-country coach that rode a bike with a bullhorn. <laughs> I didn't do that. I would, run with the, I would run with my runners, and I would do the speed workout before they did it. So when they got to the track, I would be finishing up speed work because I wanted them to know that I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. But I remember running, and I rounded the corner, and I saw the captain of the team, a senior. I inherited him. But I saw him and he was walking. And so I, I ran up beside him. I said, I want you to come to my office as soon as you get back. And so he came in there. And I just basically, I told him, you will either lead for me or you're done with the team. You don't have to be on the team and you don't have to be the captain of the team. But if you're out here, you're telling me you believe in the mission of the team and the vision of the team and winning and giving your all and being an example and modeling it out. The next day I said, you have 24 hours to think about it and pray about it and talk to your family about it and then come back and you just tell me. You either basically give me your singlet or you, or you, you don't. You're either in or you're out. And he stayed. And he, and he improved and he made a difference. We didn't win state or anything. He didn't, you know, but it, I hope, I hope it made a difference in his life. But I think Christ would say the very same thing to each of us today. That he might see some wasted potential in our life where we're just sitting back when we should be stepping forward. A lot of y'all are, you know, some of you have done Houston Project and maybe you're serving in the class. I'm like, I don't get, there, there's no service that's too small. There's no service that's too small. A lack of service. There's no excuse. There's really not. There are prayer ministries you can engage in if you don't have money. It's free. If you don't have a lot of time, man, you can pray all the time. You can stick prayers in lots of places. I know because I do. You might feel like, well, I don't have a public gift. I'm like, man, helping pull an event off. I'm telling you, as someone that plans events and has to do events like retreats and stuff like that, you got to have like 50 people sometimes to do it. And, and Ryan, I mean, y'all just had a big retreat for Summit. And there were a lot of people that probably helped. Find a spot to lead and serve and make a difference. Christ was the opposite, was the opposite of Adam. Real, real quickly, let me give you three things that, that Christ gave us. He gave us direction. He said, follow me. Made it real clear where he was headed. Adam didn't give any of that. I mean, he just let his wife flounder out there. Christ gave protection. The whole armor of God deal, that's from Christ. He says, it's great that I'm going away. 
I'll send, I'll send you the comforter. Well, the comforter, we, we think of like a downy, fluffy thing or a box of Kleenex, right? Comfort, that, that word comes from Latin, cum forte, with strength. When Christ said, I'm sending the comforter, he was saying, I am sending power to you. Power to walk along your side, to protect you. The armor of God is part of that. If you've ever studied the armor of God, the really interesting, cool thing about it is, is there a piece of armor that's listed that's on the back side of you? No. It's all frontal. I don't think Christ ever intended for us to do this in the world and walk away. He wanted us to walk into the world and to engage the problems in our society, whether it's poverty, injustice, evangelism, whatever, I mean, whatever it is, He wanted us to walk into the world. And that's why He's left us here, you and me. In the end, it's not, we're not going to be judged by our athletic performances, our job title, the size of our 401k or 403b. We won't be judged by any of that. We're going to be judged by how well we loved Him and whether or not we fought to make other people free. And by freedom, I mean first and foremost spiritually, and then secondarily, physically. I believe those are the two passions on God's heart. If you look at Christ, when He read from the scroll of Isaiah, the very first thing He read was talking about setting people free and opening up people's eyes. Who are we fighting for to set free? Who are you fighting for to set free? Think about it. Pray about it. Why did God leave you here? He made you. He made you male. <laughs> that means you're going to be a leader. Who are you going to lead for? Priorities. Who are you going to lead for? I'm going to stop and give you a couple of men. I think I'm about done here. Yeah, I got one minute. There are two men in Scripture that were very gifted, very charismatic, very powerful men with great titles and a great call of God. And when I was a kid, I really wanted to be one of these guys. There was Samson and David. And I really wanted to be Samson because I was probably sort of small. And I wanted to be able to like get on the playground. And there was a girl named Tracy Lohorn. She had blonde hair. And I always, always like dreamed, I would like dream at night that I was like Bruce Lee. And I would like clear all the other guys off the playground. And I would have, I would have Tracy. And we'd like be on this little seesaw thing together. And it was like really cool. I was like in third grade. And most of you guys didn't think like that, but I did. I thought it would be really cool. Okay. Samson was, was unbelievably awesome. Okay. King David, unbelievably. I mean, the whole Goliath story, the first time I read it out of the Bible, not out of the children's storybook, but out of the Bible to my son, he made me reread it because he didn't believe that the head got cut off. They, they, the children's stories, they don't show that. They really don't. They just show a rock hitting the giant and he falls down. End of story. I'm like, dude, blood was all over David's legs and feet and hands and arms. You know what? Just wham, all that blood, it went everywhere. It was violent. It was crazy. This is, I'll do that on the playground and Tracy will be mine. <laughs> She'll be mine. Problem was both of the men fell. Both of them fell. Both of them screwed it up big over women. 
ironically enough. One of them recovered and one of them never did. Samson never recovered, ever. Oh sure, at the end, he prayed his very first prayer was at the end of his life. For 20 years, he ruled Israel as a judge. And there was no mention of prayer anywhere. He never settled down. He was always roaming from one place to another place. He loved that wild, untethered freedom. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to make a commitment. I just want to do what I want to do because I'm the man. I can kill a thousand guys with a jackass's jawbone. I'm like, that's power. It's great. It's cool. Heisman Trophy winner, CEO. He had it all. Problem was, he had no relationships with other men in his life. There are none. Look through judges and try to find it. He was alone. He was a loner. And he loved the flashy big play. He loved the home run ball, the long ball. Pam, swinging for the fence every time. David, on the other hand, had men in his life, right? He had a lot of men, his mighty men of valor. He had Nathan, knew him by name and could come in and call him out. David, little things mattered for David. He was into the home. He was into building things. He was into commitment. And granted, he blew it once, but he never blew it twice. Where the, the crowning glory of Samson was pushing down a temple to another god, David's crowning glory is he laid the plans and issued the command and gave vision to his son to build a temple to the one true God that lived beyond him. Samson at the end, even though he killed more Philistines in that one event, Israel still stayed in bondage. He never completed his mission. David actually completed his mission. There were repercussions to it. But I believe because David actually was reflective in prayer. Look at Samson had one prayer. How many prayers do we have of David in that reign of his? We have hundreds. Look at the book of Psalms. He was a reflective leader. He was into building things. He was into letting people into his life. He believed in little acts of obedience along the way. I mentioned my dad. He is a godly man. He's 80 years old. His mind is starting to go and that really sucks because he's really smart. And now we have repetitive conversations every three or four minutes. He's telling me the exact same thing he told me. And if you haven't been there, you'll be there one day. Some of your fathers may have passed away when you were younger, and I'm sorry. I, I, I'll take this over that, okay? But my dad, he, he loves Jesus. I have no doubt about it. But in his generation, let me tell you what spiritual leadership is and was for him. To be sure that we go to church every Sunday and that we prayed over every meal. And that was it. That was it. I'm not throwing any rocks at my dad, but I believe God has more for us than that, okay? More than going to church and praying over our meals. And you can't wait for that. Leadership, you don't wait on leadership. You become a leader now, and God gives you opportunities as you become the man that God has called you to be. And if you feel like you're sort of sitting back where you, you come to church on Sunday night, I'm like, I'm glad you're here. 
I'm not trying to bash you. I'm glad you're here and you pray over your meals. I'm glad you do that. But I'm going to tell you there is a lot more to life than that. And my prayer tonight, honestly, I just want to speak the challenge to you is God has you here. You're male by birth, but I believe you'll become a man by choice. Not everybody that's a male ever becomes a man. There are a lot of grown men in our society that live like teenagers. They're bragging at age 55 about the secretary and what he did to the secretary. I'm like, great, you're like Samson. You're going to get screwed in the end and you're going to leave a wake of destruction behind you and the mission will never get done. If that's what you want your life to be, great. But we will all stand at some point before God. So my call to you guys is get involved in each other's lives. There's small group opportunities. I think Dan just mentioned that y'all are going to be doing that. At our church, we have a thing called GM6. It's men being real with each other, fighting for one another, encouraging each other, praying for one another, believing enough in who God is in each of us that we would, that we would speak truth to one another. Okay, there are Houston Project and there are mission opportunities that are all around us. There are classroom things you can do in your class to make a difference. It might be that you just begin to work on honoring the ladies in the class and protecting them and praying for them in a good way that you take on that mantle of leadership. It's not a title. It's a life. Don't be like the guy that was at Whataburger telling me, I don't feel like I have any power. I'm not growing. I'm just stuck. Don't give your strength away to the world. Don't. Embrace your strength by embracing Christ and walking it out for Him. Shun passivity and make Him, make Christ the priority. I think if we do those things, man, we're going to have a huge impact in this world. God has made us men for a reason. And I think it would be amazing to see what, you know, 70, 70 men walking for Him, wherever we work, wherever we live, what that would look like. Our church needs it but the world needs it even more. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you have called these men together. Lord, I don't know what they needed to hear. I don't know where they are spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially. God, there are probably some people here that are looking for jobs. There are some people here that wish they didn't have the job they had. There's some people here that wrestle with addiction. There's some people here that are, are so pissed off, Father, at their fathers or at someone else that they have bitterness in their heart and they can't forgive. Father, whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that you would give them the courage to step into that and step through that and find you in the midst of it. God, thank you that you can handle our, our feelings, our anger. Thank you that you can handle, God, whatever we have done, whatever sin is in our life. God, you are greater than that. You have set me free, Father, and you continue to do that every day. And I need you every day, Lord. You are the one that I need and nothing else. Father, I thank you for these men. Would you bless them and strengthen them? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you all for letting me come in tonight and forgive me for uh, going uh, approximately 13 minutes over. But uh, I hope some of that maybe hit home. I don't know if it did or not, but I hope it did. Next week, if you all would, are you going to do the question thing? Yeah. Where they can email them to you or how are you going to do that? Right. Cards? So we've got some cards on your Whatever the questions are, whatever 